Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. In the, in the late 1500s, uh, this Italian architect um, named Domenico uh, Fontana. That's his name, Domenico Fontana. He made this incredible discovery. He was, um, he was charged, he was commissioned to build this canal in Italy, all right? And so they start work on this canal and they start digging to, to build it. And, and they make this incredible discovery. As they were digging, they found these walls that were like painted and stuff. Underneath layers and layers of dirt. They found these walls that were painted. And uh, so that was in the 1500s. They kind of uh, just left it, went on, built their canal and things. In, in 1748, all right, so a long time after, 1748, uh, they started going, okay, what was that thing that Fontana found back in the 1500s? And so they went out and began to excavate the area, to dig and to, to see what was underneath all of that dirt. And what they found was the ancient city of Pompeii. Pompeii, that's how they found it. Uh, I've got a picture of it here for you if you're, if you're unaware. So Pompeii is an ancient city in Rome, okay? Um, and in AD 79, all right, so if you're listening, you could win a trivia contest one day. AD 79, the, the, the volcano Mount Vesuvius, which you see in the picture back behind the walls, it erupted and it covered Pompeii in... Uh, in ash and uh, lava, and it completely wiped out the city. There was over 20,000 people that lived in the city at the time, but what it did is it almost perfectly preserved the area. And so as they were excavating it, which they're still excavating it today, all right, nearly 300 years later, uh, they, they, they found life. Like they found evidence of real life that happened there. They, they found architecture that you see. They found uh, paintings and sculptures and all this different stuff that was from Roman life back in AD 79. And so we can see how they used to cook, like their pots and their, uh, all the things that they had. Uh, they even found like chariots. Uh, they found uh, perfectly preserved nearly uh, horses that still had saddles on them, all right? So, so they found evidence of real life, but they also found over a thousand skeletons, a thousand skeletons. And so I got a picture of that for you too. And so what we see here in, in Pompeii, the evidence of real life, where there was once life, now there's only death, all right? And so I want you to keep that picture in mind as we go throughout uh, this, this text this morning, but for the price of about a hundred bucks, you can go to Pompeii and see it yourself, right? That's how much a ticket costs to go, to go see it. You've, you've probably had maybe your own Pompeii type discovery moment as well. I mean, on a much, much smaller scale. But how many of you have ever been like walking through the woods or something, maybe as a kid and you find bones and you find, and you're like, ah, this is awesome. I remember one time I was walking and I found like this uh, deer skull and it still had the antlers and stuff. And I thought, this is great. I got to take it back to my dad and hang it on the wall because that's what you do with dead animal heads, right? And so I was bringing it back. But then I remember like there was this moment of going, this is weird. Like this is gross. This thing used to be alive and now it's dead. 
It's helpless. It's hopeless. It's dead. And in a lot of ways, that's where our text is this morning. We're going to see death everywhere. It's helpless. It's hopeless, right? But right there in the valley of death, God promises life. And then he delivers upon it, right? So that's what we're going to see. So if you have a Bible, open up to Ezekiel chapter 37 with me this morning. Ezekiel chapter 37. We've been in this study of Ezekiel now for the past five weeks or so, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun ride. Uh, we've seen some crazy stuff in this book. In fact, I was reading, and uh, Jewish rabbis used to not let anyone under the age of 30 read the book of Ezekiel because it's just too wild, right? There's some crazy stuff in there, and we've covered a lot of it. But this morning is probably the most familiar passage with the book of Ezekiel. It's the Valley of Dry Bones, all right? And this is a super cool passage that I'm excited for us to get into this morning. But before we do, there's a couple of things that you need to understand. You need to know about Old Testament prophecy. So Old Testament prophecy, there's, there's usually what, what I might call a partial fulfillment of that prophecy, and then there's the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy. So here's what I mean. The partial fulfillment was something more immediate that would have happened in the time that it was given, right? And the ultimate is one that you, we see throughout scripture we can point to and go, that's, that's the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. So for an example, Isaiah chapter seven, all right? Isaiah chapter seven, King Ahaz uh, is facing these two kings uh, who are coming to attack and he's scared, but God promises that they're not gonna get him. And God promises that and then he gives a sign as a stamp of approval to say, see, they are not gonna give you. And here's the sign. A virgin will conceive a son and name him Emmanuel. And by the time that child is a toddler, those two kings in the north won't be around anymore to give him any problems. And that happens. Second Kings chapter 16, that happens. Okay, so that's the partial fulfillment. But we know there's an ultimate fulfillment of that. And we just celebrated it at Christmas. That, that there's a child coming, born of a virgin. That would be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And he's gonna come and he's gonna defeat our ultimate enemy. You with me? So you got a partial fulfillment. You got an ultimate fulfillment. And that's what we're gonna see this morning. And before we jump into what it means for us today, I think we do need to look at what is that immediate Fulfillment. What is that partial fulfillment that, that we see in this story? And it's very helpful because in this text, God himself tells us what it is. All right, so look at Ezekiel 37 verse 11 with me. He says, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So in our story this morning, the bones represent Israel, the people of God. And he says, look how they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off, okay? And so this story we're gonna look at this morning is a picture of hope and restoration for the people of Israel. Now remember, what has the story of Ezekiel been about so far? It's been about the people's rebellion and the punishment of God that followed that. They've been in exile for at least 12 years, right? They, their city has been destroyed and overtaken. Their temple's been burned. Many of their friends and family have been killed, and so in a lot of ways, they feel hopeless. They feel like very dry bones that we're gonna see this morning, all right? So that's, that's the partial fulfillment. Now I want us to look at what is this saying to us today, right here, Conway, Arkansas, 2022. What does this passage say to us 
in our lives. So let's read Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, this story is super cool, all right? It's like very cinematic. And so as we're reading it, I want you just to see if you can imagine the things that are going on in this, in this valley, all right? Ezekiel 37 verse one, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. So think of that picture from Pompeii. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley and they were very dry. And then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I replied, Lord God, only you know. And he said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I'll put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you so that you come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse seven, so I prophesied as I had been commanded, Ezekiel says. And while I was prophesying, there was a noise. There was a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone. And as I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Verse nine, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it. This is what the Lord God says. Breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. That's some cool stuff, right? That is, that's awesome. That's like an epic movie right there that we just, that we just read. I want to show us three things out of this passage this morning that I believe it's teaching us today in our context. So if you're taking any kind of notes, number one, rebellion brings death. Rebellion brings death. We see that in the first three verses. Again, remember, this book is all about the people's rebellion and God's punishment that follows, right? And, and so Ezekiel is, is taken to this valley of death and he's given this, this vision, this, this pro prophetic vision here. And it says, I want you to just note, note the words that are used. In verse one, it says, it was full of bones. It was full of bones. And there was a great many of them on the surface of the valley, verse two says, and they were very dry, okay? God wants Ezekiel to see that Israel is not near death. They are totally dead. They are dead, dead, all right? They are dry, crispy bones. And so what does that mean for us today? I think there's two levels of the valley that we can look at in our own lives and see today. So first, if we zoom all the way in, we see these dry bones in our own lives, that we are in this situation, each of us individually are in the same spot. Ephesians 2.1 says that outside of Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. We know what Romans 3.23 says, that all of us have sinned, we all fall short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 says that's a problem because the payment for that is our death, right? Ezekiel chapter 16, I told you it's a graphic book. There's, um, there's this picture of, of what we are outside of Christ. In Ezekiel chapter 16, there's this, there's this image that God gives Ezekiel of this 
aborted or stillborn baby laying out in a field in its blood and God comes by and says, live. And the Bible says that that's what you and I are like outside of God. We are helpless. And so we need to understand that outside of Christ, we are hopeless. We are dead. You're not just a little rough. You're not just bad. No, you're spiritually dead. Spiritually dead, very dry bones. And so that's, that's us individually. What if we zoom out just a little bit and we see our immediate circle around us, our family. Our families are broken, our marriages are broken, our workplace is broken. And if we zoom out a little bit more, it's because our world is broken. It's one of the effects of sin, of the fall. Our world is, is broken. I don't even have to give you examples of that. Just open up social media or turn on the news for about 30 seconds and you'll see it, right? What's right is called wrong and what's wrong is called right and it's celebrated in our world. Everywhere we look, very dry bones. And in this passage, something crazy happens in verse three. God asked him a question, right? Did you see it? Verse three, then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Like these very dry bones, that's a crazy question. Imagine if we were standing in Pompeii, we've paid our $100 ticket and we are standing there and I look at you and I say, what do, what do you think? You, you think these bones could live? You'd look at me like I fell out of a tree, right? Call the crazy police and lock me up because that is an insane question. But it's not just anybody asking this question here. It's the God of all creation asking this question. And so Ezekiel, he looks around and all he sees is death, dry bones. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning as well. Just everything that you see is just, it's dry, it's dead bones. And look at Ezekiel's response. In verse three, I replied, Lord God, only you know. Only you know. That is the only correct response for us. I want us to hear this, all right? The only hope for dead, helpless, dry bones is the one true living God. For our brokenness as individuals, for our brokenness as a world and as a society. But you see, we get in trouble whenever we try and start fixing things on our own whenever we try and meddle in the situation and try and fix things that we have no business trying to fix, we can't fix things that are broken because we're broken. Does that make sense? And so that thing that's still broken in your, in your life or in your marriage or in your family, man, maybe it's still broken because you keep trying to fix it on your own. When will we get tired of that? The only Hope for us is confession and repentance and reliance upon God. That's the only answer to the brokenness in our lives, but then also in our world. You think politics are gonna fix the problems of our world? <laughs> Even your most preferred candidate is sinful and they're selfish and they're broken. They can't fix anything. The only answer to the valley of dry bones that we live in is the one true living God. And Ezekiel says in verse three, he says, Lord God, only you know. I can't do anything about these dry bones. Only you know, friends, we don't need to know how he's going to do it. We just need to know that he can. And that's what Ezekiel says here. Only you know, all right? So first we see 
that rebellion brings death. Secondly, we see that God's word brings order. God's word brings order. Look at verse four with me. Verse four says, he said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. So get this picture, all right? Like Ezekiel is told to prophesy to bones. There's no skin on them yet. They don't even have ears, right? And he's out there trying to preach to these dead dry bones. But I think the point is here, not on Ezekiel's words, but on God's words, right? And and God speaks into the chaos, into the disorder, and he brings order, which is a theme throughout scripture. We see it all throughout scripture. So first start in the first page of the Bible, the creation account says that the earth, earth was formless and it was dark and there was nothing here. But then what? God speaks and he brings order. Right? Just with his word. The, the life of Job, right? Job's life was completely messed up. But at the end of at the book of Job, in chapter uh, 38, it says that the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. And he speaks into the disorder and he brings order. Think about in the New Testament, whenever Jesus is out, you remember the story where he's out sailing in a boat and there's a storm that comes out of nowhere and it's, it says it was fierce and it was, it was shaking the whole boat. What does Jesus do? He comes out and he speaks to it and immediately it's calm. Where God speaks, the disorder becomes ordered. And that's what we see here because that's what God's word does. God's word brings order to disorder. And we need to understand that because we too have the word of God. Many of us carry it in our pockets, right? It's on your phones. The word of God brings order to our lives. So let's just talk very practically. What is the importance of God's word for us? Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, all those things die, but the word of God stands forever. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. What What does that mean for us? It means it's profitable for teaching. It shows us the truth. It's profitable for reproof, meaning it exposes our rebellion. And it's profitable for correction, which means it corrects our mistakes. And then it's profitable for training in righteousness, which means it trains us to live God's way, right? So the word of God is, is powerful. It stands forever. It's God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training and righteousness and all of these things. And we need it in our life because it brings order where there is none. So let me just ask you a question, all right? How many of you, with 2022 just starting, how many of you, by show of hands, made some kind of uh, 2022 goal of reading more of the Bible this year? How many of you would say that? Raise them high. This this is called accountability, all right? (laughs) This is good. About 10 years ago at the church I was serving in, I told my pastor that I was gonna be reading the Bible all the way through that year. And he said it from the stage one Sunday morning and then I was stuck. I had to do it because everybody knew it, right? So we all saw you, all right? So do it. Now I I won't have you raise your hand here, but how many of you have already missed a day, right? Yeah, it happens. And here's what I'd say, we'll start tomorrow. Just pick it back up, right? Because we need the word of God in our lives. Let it order your day. 
Let it order your relationships and your decisions and your outlook and your emotions and your temptations and your shortcomings and your priorities and your family. Let the word of God order your life. And so ask yourself right now, is my life ordered by the word of God? Is my life ordered by God's word? And you might be going, I don't really know where to even start with that. I don't know where to, where to start. Very practically, here's some advice. Set aside some time daily. Some people say it has to be in the morning. I'm not a morning person, right? So sometimes it happens in the morning, other times it doesn't. But set some time aside that will work in your schedule and just get in the word. Find a journal or something like that where you can write down the things that the Lord is speaking to you. Here's a big one that's helped me and maybe it'll help you. Follow a plan. Find a Bible reading plan and stick with it right? Don't just do the whole like, oh, I'm just going to open up and whatever it is, that's what God has for me today. Find a reading plan and follow it through. And then I would also say, memorize scripture. Like, are you, are you memorizing scripture? There's an app that I use called Fighter Verses that's great. I would recommend that to you. But allow your life to be ordered by the word of God. It's so, like we have it. God has given us his word So let your life be ordered by it. So number one, rebellion brings death. Number two, God's word brings order. And number three, finally, God's breath brings life. God's breath brings life. Let's look at, I wanna read verses five through 10 again, all right? And as I do, I want you to underline or circle or highlight or something in your copy of God's word every time you see the word breath or breathe. Okay, follow along with me, verse five. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord, verse seven. So I prophesied as I had been commanded and while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone. And as I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So they're just lifeless dead bodies laying, laying there, but they, they look like humans. They've, they've got flesh and things on them, but there's no breath in them. Verse nine, and he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it. This is what the Lord God says. Breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. That word breath there is used several times. It's used throughout the Old Testament as well. It's a Hebrew word uh, called ruach, ruach, all right? I want you to say that with me. On the count of three, say ruach, one, two, three. Ruach, very good, all right, that was good. So in the Hebrew, that means breath, it means wind, it means spirit, and it's used throughout. Again, in the opening pages of the Bible, in the creation account, we see Genesis 1-2, the earth was formless and empty, darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the spirit of God, the Ruach, hovered over the surface of the waters. There was no order. God speaks, God's breath brings life. The, The wind other examples in, in scripture, uh, the, the wind after the flood in Genesis chapter eight that, that goes out to dry up the land is Ruach, 
right? The, the, the wind that Moses sends out in Egypt to, to bring back the plague of locusts is the Ruach. So it's, it's, it's throughout. In Judges 6, whenever Gideon, the Spirit of God, the Ruach, fills him and he gathers his army together. And then all throughout Ezekiel, anytime you see the Spirit of God picked him up and moved him somewhere, it's that word, Ezekiel 2.2, as he spoke to me, the Spirit, the Ruach, entered me and set me on my feet. And that's the word. Every time you see the word breath here in Ezekiel 37, it's Ruach. It's the wind. It's the breath. It's the Spirit, right? It's powerful. And just a little side note, even in 2 Timothy 3.16 that I just talked about a second ago with God's Word, it says all Scripture is what? God breathed. And it's profitable for teaching and correction and reproof and, and training in righteousness. And I used to just think that that just meant that God's word is, is, is good. It's profitable for, for things. Even the passages I don't like or don't understand. But what I think it means is that God's word is living and it's active. And God's spirit, whenever you open the word of God, is actually there with you breathing life. Breathing, breathing profitable things. Teaching you, correcting you, reproof, rebuking you, and training you in righteousness. His, his breath, the ruach, is, is powerful. And what we see in Ezekiel 37 is that the breath, the ruach, brings life in the valley. Look at verse 8 again. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them. Again, they look alive, but they're not. Why? Because there was no breath in them. They were just lifeless bodies. Looked good, but they weren't. But then God's breath comes and he fills up their lungs and they take that first breath. It's an amazing moment here that we see. But it wasn't until the breath, the Ruach, entered into the bodies did they come alive. And God explains what that is down in verse 14. He says that the breath is the spirit of God. That's how they came alive. The spirit of the living God filled their dead carcass with life. And listen, that's the good news of the gospel, that you weren't just bad and he made you good. You weren't just dirty and he made you clean. No, listen, you were dead and he made you alive. That he filled your dead bones. He filled you with the breath of the living God and breathed into you. That's the good news of the gospel, right? But the harsh reality of this passage, I think we see and I think we need to point out, is in verse 8, as I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Listen, friends, it is completely possible to look spiritually alive, but be dead on the inside. It's completely possible. That if God's spirit is not truly in you, you are dead. You're just a well put together zombie. There's no life in you. And this is what we would call cultural Christianity. And we need to talk about it because I think cultural Christianity runs rampant, especially in the Bible Belt. And I think the argument could be made that Dave Ward Drive with its 27 churches up and down it is the buckle of the belt. You with me? We need to be aware of what cultural Christianity looks like. And I'm afraid that churches 
are filled with people who look alive on the outside because they figured out the thing to do or the way to look, but on the inside they are dead. They've never had that moment where they took their first breath through salvation, repented of sin, submitted to Jesus, and took their first breath of life in the Spirit. But the good news of the gospel, the good news that we believe, the reason we show up here on Sunday mornings is that we believe that the God of all creation stepped into this earth and lived a life that we couldn't. That he lived so that we can have life. And he went to a cross and he died and he was sacrificed for your sin and for mine. They went to a grave and he was dead, dead, dead. But then he came bursting out alive so that we could have life. And if we'll just place our faith in him, scripture says that we will be saved. And so that's the good news of the gospel. And so even if, man, listen, even if right here on Dave Ward Drive with all of our churches, You've figured out how to do the dance. You've figured out how to look very much alive, but you know that inside there's no breath. The invitation of the gospel is that today is your day. Today is the day of salvation for you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many times you've walked through these doors. If there's no breath in you, you're dead. But Jesus offers life. He offers breath. And so I wanna encourage you to do that today. In this passage, as we close, there's disorder, God's word brings order, and then God's spirit brought life. And the last thing I wanna show you is why he did it. Why did he do it? Ezekiel 37, look at verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered them, and they came to life and they stood on their feet, a vast army, a vast army. In 1897, a German doctor named Karl Fluge, I guess that's how you say it, I'm not German. Karl Fluge, he made a discovery that has impacted every single one of our lives for the past two years. He discovered 125 years ago that bacteria in our breath travels six feet, right? Six feet, that's the reason we've done this whole distancing thing. So we say, stay six feet apart. We've done it for two years. If you live in Sweden, they say, keep the distance of one small moose in between you, right? But six feet, Carl Fluge, he figured that out in 1897. But the point of the whole distancing thing, right, is that we share what we breathe. We share what we breathe. In fact, I was reading an article in this pulmonologist. He says this, that the atmosphere is a communal space and our lungs are a part of it. We're all breathing. We're all in the same fishbowl breathing together. And maybe after the last two years, that makes you super uncomfortable, right? That, that makes you kind of squirm a little bit because you feel like you can just kind of see germs floating around. But the point here is this, breathing is corporate. What you breathe in, you will breathe out. And so think about it. Whenever you breathe, what are you doing? You're inhaling and you're exhaling. Whenever we're breathing, in the context of this scripture, we're breathing in the spirit of God, the life of God, the goodness of God, and then we do what? We exhale it out. Just as Ezekiel was told to prophesy, to proclaim God's word to the dry, dead bones, to the valley, that's what we are to do as well. In the New Testament, there's this 
really odd moment after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's appearing to all kinds of people all over the place. He, he rose from the dead and then there's this passage in, in, in the book of John that talks about, so there's this one little verse that says, and then he breathed on them. And we're like, Jesus, don't do that. Put a mask on, that's gross. Don't breathe on people. But I want you to see it. John chapter 20, just look at this with me. It'll be on the screen for you. After Jesus has risen from the dead, when it was evening, on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Disorder, chaos, fear. But Jesus came, he stood among them, and he said to them, peace be with you. His word brings order. And then it goes on, verse 20. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Church, it's my prayer that we would be a vast army of people who are ordered by the word of God and filled with the breath of God, completely alive and breathing in life from him and exhaling it back out into the land of dead, dry bones. And so what do you do with this, right? How do you respond? How do you, how do you apply this to your life? I think there's three ways that you can respond this morning. The first, maybe you're here and you follow Jesus, but there's just some dryness that has settled in. And you need a fresh breath from God to come and revive your old bones and bring them back to life. If that's you, cry out to him. In the next few moments, we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing, and, and that's your response. Cry out to him and say, God, I just need a fresh breath from, from you. So maybe that's your response. Maybe there's others who, you know you follow Jesus, you know you're a Christian, but there's just something in your life that, that it just seems like a mountain. It seems like you need a miracle. It seems like you don't know how it's gonna happen, but you need to trust God in order to do it. So maybe for you, that's your response. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but I trust you to do it, God. Whether it's with that big sin in your life that you just can't seem to kick, or maybe it's some situation that you're facing in your life or in your marriage or in your family. And this morning, you just need to turn it over to God and say, only you, only you can, can fix it. But maybe you're here and you know that there's no breath in you. And, and maybe, maybe you've been doing this a long time and you look very much alive, but when you're honest with yourself, you know that there's no breath in you. Today's your day. Today is the day of salvation. And so if that's you, and the best way that you know how, and the best way that you understand it, you just cry out to God. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm dead. I'm just a pile of dry bones, but I need you to breathe life into me and I commit my life to you and he will save you today, right now. He'll do that. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. 
To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.